are looking again at John chapter 20 today, verses 19 to 23. And given that it's my last Sunday with you, I wanted to spend it with you in the large room with Jesus' followers, with Jesus in there and our midst, the risen Jesus in our midst. Because boy, do we need Jesus just like his followers needed him. They needed him because they were afraid, they were discouraged, they were confused. So much had happened to them in their last few days. Jesus, whom they loved and put their trust in, had been ripped from them and put to death and buried. And then a couple of days later, they had discovered the tomb was empty and there were these wild stories that one or two had seen Jesus alive again, but how could they even process that? Their, their minds and hearts could not keep up. But even more, they were aware that they had denied and abandoned Jesus, the one they had loved and had pledged to follow in the last few days. And that makes it even more surprising and wonderful what happens next. But before we get too far into their experience, let's talk about ours. Today is goodbye, and goodbyes are hard. I and my family are going to miss you a lot. Um, it was 15 years ago yesterday that I began at CBC. And uh, when I think back over all those years, I have so many memories. Um, it's been such a blessing and a privilege to raise our kids in this church. I, I learned a lot about pastoring and about leadership, and some of you were very patient with me as I was learning those things. And you've been so generous and so encouraging and so loving to our family. And you've done so much to encourage and strengthen the faith of our kids. And so we're so grateful and we'll always be grateful. These last few years, though, have been difficult in a lot of ways. COVID was difficult, wasn't it? For uh, over a year, I don't even remember how long it was that we were meeting only on Zoom. And then using, losing our youth leader um, and having a hard time finding a replacement has been difficult for some of you. We've also grieved the loss of people that we've loved. And the strain of all that has tested the strength of our relationships in some cases. And now on top of that, all that, you're losing your pastor. And for some of you, that makes you feel sad and, or nervous or anxious. And so in, in our own ways, even if, if our reasons are different, we understand to some extent how the disciples felt that day in that room together. We understand what it feels like to be afraid. We understand what it feels like to feel the loss and, and grief. We understand what it feels like to maybe be confused. We understand what it feels like to be discouraged or unsure. And yet today's passage leads us into an experience of the resurrected Jesus who can bring us through all of that to a different place and to a different reality. I can't imagine what it was like for those first disciples. Have you ever had an experience where there was something you wanted so badly and you were so looking forward to it and then it was taken away from you? I remember one time when I was living in, in Budapest years ago, I was single. I was going through a really lonely season in my life. I was discouraged, or, or more likely I was depressed, actually. 
But then the best thing that could have happened to me at that moment happened to me. My two favorite people at that time, a couple who were dating one another, invited me to go along on a trip with them. They were going with a third female friend whose company I really enjoyed and I found somewhat attractive. And so I would be the fourth. It would kind of be like an extended double date in a way with people that I really loved. It would just be the four of us going to a Mediterranean beach and spending a number of days together, having fun, enjoying being together. And I was so excited. It was just what I needed. My heart was so hungry for companionship, for friendship, for fun. So I was just so looking forward to this. But then a few days before the trip, I was out jogging and I hurt my knee badly. I could barely walk. And in the next day or two, it became clear that I was not going to be able to go on the trip after all. Because we didn't have cars, we were taking trains and public transportation, there would be a lot of walking involved, and I really couldn't walk without lots of pain. I was so devastated, I was so disappointed. Has, has anything like that ever happened to you? That's just a little taste of what the disciples of, of Jesus have been feeling as, as they're gathered in this room. For them, it was because they had put all of their hopes in this man, Jesus. They had left behind jobs and houses and family and belongings. They had risked and faced rejection and criticism and broken relationships for Jesus. They, they thought that he was the long-awaited, God-sent Savior and Messiah from heaven. The, the one who would solve all of their problems, give them a better future, fix what was wrong, fulfill all that they were longing for. But then a few days before, horror of horrors, Jesus had been arrested and tried and tortured and killed, and Jesus hadn't been able to stop it, it seemed. And God had done nothing to stop it. And now Jesus was gone, dead. And with him, all of their hopes. And so they had been reeling, wondering what had happened. Had they been wrong about Jesus? Had Jesus been wrong? Had they been duped? Was this all just foolish wishfulness? And what now? Where was there a God? <laughs> Where was God? Would God ever save them or help them? What was their future? Did they even have one? And then yet another strange and disturbing thing had happened. That morning, a couple days after Jesus' burial, the grave had been found empty. And there were crazy rumors that maybe Jesus was alive. But that's crazy, right? Who can believe something like that? And what could possibly motivate people to claim stuff like that? And even if it was true, where was Jesus now? So they were powerless. Powerless to know what to do, to what to believe, where to turn. You, you want to do something, right, at a time like that. But what could they do? 
They didn't know where to find Jesus' body or where to find Jesus if he was alive or, or, or how to know if he was or he wasn't alive. And so their hearts have been through the ringer. They're confused. They're powerless. And they're still very scared of those who had arrested Jesus and put them to death that they might be coming for them at any time too. Do any of you relate in any way, even a little bit, to the, the feelings of the disciples there in the room that day? I do. We know those feelings in some measure. But then, of course, we know what happens next, right? Jesus suddenly shows up. Jesus joins them in the room. A minute before, he wasn't there. They were alone with their fears and their confusion in turmoil and darkness. And then the next moment, Jesus is there. And when Jesus shows up, everything begins to change. Now, Jesus is alive. Jesus has found them. Jesus has come to them. When Jesus is in the middle of us, everything begins to change. And we change. Because when Jesus is among us, we can be a people of peace, of joy, and of the Holy Spirit. That's what we see in this passage. We also see that we are sent by Jesus. But since we spent a whole sermon on that last Sunday, I'm going to skip over that part this morning. What I love about this passage is that it is inviting us to know Jesus and to experience with the first disciples what they experienced. Because we, we know, right, um, that Jesus wants to be in our midst, too. Jesus wants to be in our midst. So let's see if this passage can lead us together this morning into the presence of Jesus. So first, this passage tells us that when Jesus is in our midst, we experience peace. When Jesus appears among his disciples, what's the first thing he says to them? He says it twice. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Jesus, being a Jew, of course, would have used the Jewish word shalom. Shalom be with you. Shalom to you. And if you've been around CBC at all over the years, you know shalom is a much bigger concept in the Bible than just peace, the way we think of peace today. Shalom means well-being, well-being to you. Shalom means flourishing, flourishing to you. It means wholeness, wholeness to you. It means it's all good. Shalom be with you. Jesus is the one who brings shalom. So when Jesus is in our midst, what he says becomes true for us. Shalom to you. Shalom is available to us from Jesus. So question, are you stepping into the shalom? Are you cultivating the shalom? Are you stewarding the shalom? Are you searching for the shalom? Or are you trafficking in anxiety, strife, jealousy, and competition? 
Because shalom takes our cooperation. We can grow into it or we can work against it. As parents, when we were raising our kids, Anne and I, um, at, at times that was, that was stressful for us. It was challenging to our shalom. <laughs> and uh, Anne and I would often remind each other of this question. Are you being, as parents, are, are we being a thermostat or are we being a thermometer? Are we being the emotional thermometer of the family, letting the stress and the chaos and the problems and the, the tensions get to us? Were we letting the kids set our emotional temperature? Or were we being the thermostats? Were we setting the temperature for the rest of the family? When Jesus is among us, he offers us shalom, peace, well-being, wholeness, flourishing, but shalom comes with some assembly required. Not as a finished product, but as a possibility that we need to discover and seek and cultivate and nurture. Peace be with you, Jesus says. Will you receive that peace this morning? Will you choose to nurture it and cultivate it? I want to give you a minute to do that now. Take a minute and in your own mind's eye, look at Jesus. In the room that day, risen from the dead, victorious, he comes and he stands in the middle of us. He raises his hands. They have nail scars on them, as does his side. Because he has given everything for us. He has suffered and sacrificed to purchase us this peace. And because he's given everything in love, we know that he is for us. Do you realize how angry Jesus could have been when he showed up in that room? After all, his disciples had abandoned him when he needed them most, fleeing in fear. Peter, Jesus' right-hand man, had denied that he even knew Jesus. The disciples had doubted that he was alive again, even though he had told them repeatedly that he would rise again. And so they'd been stupid, they'd been fearful and unbelieving and unfaithful, and Jesus could have shown up and reamed them out. He could have told them how hurt and disappointed he was. He could have said that they had failed him one too many times and he was going to go and find some other followers and start over. But no, what did Jesus do? He showed up and he showed them his hands and his side, how he'd suffered for them in love to forgive them, to wash away their transgressions, to take their wrap. And Jesus said to them, peace be to you. It's okay. It's all good. I'm here again for you and with you. I'm not against you. I love you. In what way do you need that forgiveness, that reassurance this morning? In what way do you need Jesus' invitation to receive his shalom, to enter into his shalom, to cultivate and steward that shalom in your own life and in your relationships with others? Talk to Jesus. I want to just give you a minute silently to talk to him about the peace he's offering.
when Jesus comes into our midst, everything begins to change. Jesus brings us peace. Second, this passage tells us when Jesus is in our midst, we experience joy. Verse 20, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. When Jesus comes into our midst, once we realize he comes in peace, that, that he's forgiven us, that he's wiped away our unworthiness, we experience joy. For the disciples, this was the good news after the bad news, right? The good news that undid the bad news. I remember one time when, when I was looking forward, had been looking forward to something. I was in graduate school at the time. Um, it was spring. It had been a hard, stressful semester. I had been working, studying hard, and, and was depleted and exhausted and sleep-deprived, ready for break. And what I needed at that time, in addition to a lot of sleep, was some fun and some good times with friends, just kicking back and relaxing after a stressful semester. Well, we got this idea, a few of us, to go to a concert together. A, a few friends who, who I really enjoyed. I hadn't seen much of them lately because we'd all been studying so hard. And it would be so good to, to be together, to have some fun together. I was so looking forward to it. We all were. But we needed to get tickets for this concert, and we expected them to sell out quickly. So a few of us, we got on our phones, we got on our computers to call Ticketmaster to get on their website, and we were going to hit redial. We were going to hit refresh in a concerted effort, all of us, to see if we could get tickets between all of us. The moment came, the sale started, I tried, my friends tried, but disappointment of disappointments, none of us were successful at getting tickets. Our, our hopes were dashed, our great plans fell through, we were so disappointed. We wouldn't be going to the concert after all, we had nothing to look forward to. But then guess what? We got good news. One of my friend's girlfriends, who I didn't know, had been trying too. And not only had she been successful, but she had gotten enough tickets for all of us. <laughs> The plan was back on. The fun would happen after all. We were so excited. That's the kind of joy and so much more so that the disciples are feeling here. I mean, think of all they had been through. First, they thought Jesus was going to save them and be their everything. They had loved him. They had loved being with him. They were full of hope in what he'd accomplish. But then their hopes had been utterly dashed. Jesus had been cruelly apprehended and killed, and they were empty. They were destitute. They were crushed. They were confused. But then again, suddenly, the bad news was undone. Jesus was alive again. Jesus was in their midst again, very much alive. Their hopes came alive again, and their joy overflowed. So again, take a minute to reflect. Have you ever experienced the joy that it brings to know Jesus? To know that he wipes away all of your unworthiness? To know he accepts you just as you are? That he loves you? That he wants to give you a good and eternal future? That he wants to welcome you back into full relationship with God? That you're invited into God's family, given a seat at the family table? And that Jesus 
offers you life, offers you love, offers you a purpose for your life, a bright future. When was the last time you felt joy about all that? Can you enjoy it this morning? Can you enjoy Jesus right now and what he's done for you? Take a minute again. I want to give you a moment silently just to reflect and to turn your eyes back on Jesus and to appreciate what he's done for you. When Jesus comes into our midst, everything begins to change. Jesus brings us joy. Third, this passage tells us when Jesus is in our midst, he offers us his Holy Spirit. Verse 21, we read, Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. As we saw last Sunday, people have noticed the, the similarities and the ties between what happens here and what happens way back in Genesis 2 when God created Adam. When God sculpted the, the first human being out of the dust of the ground, and then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, which also could be translated the spirit of life, and the man became a living being. Do you see the connection? What's happening in the room of disciples here with Jesus in their midst is a new creation. As Jesus breathes on them, they are being recreated, reborn in a way into a new life. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us and does to us when he comes into our lives. And Jesus is the one who gives us the Holy Spirit. Just as God breathed on the lifeless Adam and, and that breath, that Spirit of God brought Adam to life. So Jesus breathes on us, his followers, and that breath, that Holy Spirit brings us to new life. It was true for the first followers of Jesus in that room, and it's been true for followers of Jesus ever since. Has it been true for you? I remember the first time it happened to me. I was in college. It was my freshman year. I knew a fair bit about God because I'd grown up going to church, but I'd kept Jesus at arm's length. I knew he was dangerous and he was threatening to my life, to my independence anyway. Because I knew Jesus would want all of my life, and I was not prepared to give that. I knew I didn't trust Jesus enough, and I wasn't willing to obey him enough. But then, going to college, over time, my heart began to change. I met some people at college who just loved Jesus. <laughs> they were full of joy. They seemed free. They, they seemed to like obeying Jesus and to love God a lot. And it was very attractive. And I realized... I wanted to be like that. Jesus had, had begun breathing on me by his spirit. He was drawing me. He was changing me. And so one night I told him, okay, I want to follow you. I do. I want to trust you. Here are the car keys of my life. You drive. Forgive me for my stubbornness and for my selfishness. Change me. Forgive my sins. I want to trust you. And that moment was a major turning point in my, in my life. Jesus was breathing on me. And I was coming to life spiritually. 
Now I wanted to follow Jesus. I wanted to trust him. And I began to get a taste of all the exciting places that that would lead me. Some literal places and figurative places as well. And I began to treat people differently, to love people more, and to realize that I was sent on a mission by Jesus as Jesus had been sent on a mission. And so my life priorities needed to begin to change. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced Jesus breathing his spirit on you? Maybe it happened differently for you. It's different for each of us. For some of us, it's very dramatic. For some of us, it's more gradual. But have you asked Jesus to breathe on you and to give you his life-changing spirit? If not, you can ask right now. And um, if, you, if you have asked, you can ask again. We can keep asking because Jesus will do it again and again. He'll give us top-ups because we leak, right? <laughs> so I want to invite you again to reflect. Take a minute. Imagine yourself in that room with Jesus. He's already offered you peace. He showed you his hands and his side. He said, I've paid the price. I've taken the rap. I am canceling your debt, washing away your unworthiness. I love you. Peace be to you. Shalom, well-being. I want you to flourish. I'm offering you joy, too. I'm inviting you to find your joy in me. Sure, I, I do ask people to do some hard things, but only to help you get out of your own way so you can better experience more of the joy and the goodness that I want to bring. And now if you'll let me, I will breathe on you. I'll offer you more of my spirit, more of my life. More of my own spirit. Will you receive it? I want to give you again a minute silently. And if you want, ask. Ask Jesus to breathe on you with more of his spirit. When Jesus comes into our midst, everything begins to change. Jesus gives us his own spirit. When Jesus is in the middle of us, everything begins to change. When Jesus is among us, we can be a people of peace, of joy, of the Holy Spirit. Isn't Jesus wonderful? May you always be a people who have Jesus in your midst and who love Jesus more than anything else. Let's pray. Jesus, you, um, uh, we are grateful for you, for who you are, for the life you live, the example you've shown us, for all you've done for us, and the way you continue to be alive in our midst able to guide us, and to give us everything we need. May you always be the center. May you always be the hero of this church. And may we more and more come to know you and to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen.